What is really good, everybody? Welcome into another episode of the Hangout in the Holy Land podcast, the official podcast of LandGrantHolyLand.com. Follow us on Twitter at HolyLandPod. Find us on SoundCloud at SoundCloud.com slash LandGrantHolyLand and subscribe to the show by visiting Apple Podcasts, searching Hangout in the Holy Land and find this episode and all of our old episodes there. Make sure to leave a star rating and a review so you can tell us what we could do to make this show better. But we are super fired up today because we officially, after all the nonsense all offseason, are finally getting into some football talk. So let's do it. My name is Colton Denning. I am your host. And as always, I am joined by my co-host in the great state of Ohio, the scrappy socialist. I call him Sharon Kraft. His name is Patrick Mayhorn. What's good, man? Everything is good. Everything is good after after we put all of that other stuff to the side. Like, this is good. Finally, we get to talk a little bit about football, talk about the kids, less about the adults, which is always great. So I, I'm excited for that. Yeah, man. It was even in just a, a really segmented, barely even a week uh, this, this past weekend, week zero games. Uh, it was so much fun to <laughs> just be watching college football again. I mean, I was up until like 2 Eastern time watching a really bad Wyoming-New Mexico State game, and it's just like uh, there, there's just something about this sport that, that I, I can't escape it, and it's fun no matter what the game is, and uh, I'm you know certainly excited to get into the, the actual week where there's like 30 different games happening at once, and uh, obviously Ohio State is one of those games, and we, we've got to talk about that even if it's a really bad matchup. <laughs> I, I don't know if anything makes me madder than people when people disrespect those games like Wyoming, New Mexico State, where they're like, oh, it's it's bad football. You don't have to watch. Like, how dare you? Yeah, it's you good football. You have to watch. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's the best yeah, football. That Colorado State-Hawaii game was awesome. I mean, Hawaii's quarterback was like, he came out firing, and he's got dreadlocks, and he's just like, uh, he's like tall Baker Mayfield. That was fun. That was enjoyable to watch. I don't know how people can really knock that. Yeah, the Cole McDonald truthers have definitely <laughs> logged on. This is the official podcast of Cole McDonald. <laughs> so we're going to get into Ohio State's week one game with Oregon State, talk about what we are looking for. Also going to break down Ryan Day's first presser as interim coach for Ohio State. He spoke with the media for about 30 minutes the other day. Greg Schiano also took the podium. They talked a little bit about uh, the direction of the program since Urban Meyer's suspension what it's it's been like kind of leading it and leading up to week one against Oregon State and some personnel stuff. And then we'll get into kind of our thoughts on what we're looking for in the game. But that's going to be in a second beforehand. Patrick here wrote a very awesome piece on the website, a long form, another long form. This is like your third or fourth one. But it was a history of Ohio State's 1995 season, one of the most talented teams in school history been 23 years since that one I liked the piece because it was great Two, my beautiful boy is glowing up with another fantastic long form but there are a lot of lessons that can be taken from this piece in I think a season like that when it pertains to recent Ohio State seasons we've seen and even even the upcoming one so that that was a very interesting piece we'll have a link to it in uh, in the article for this podcast but what are your main takeaways from writing that? Uh, well, 
I, I went into it because 1995, I wasn't watching football then. I wasn't alive, um, but, uh, which will probably upset some listeners. But um, Yeah, that upsets me, yeah. to be honest with you. <laughs> um, but I, I had, you know, I certainly, as a Buckeye fan, I was aware of what happened in 1995 and in the John Cooper era as a whole um, and the, you know, constant great teams that just couldn't get it done at the very end, specifically when they play Michigan. Um, so I knew going in that it would be a very depressing thing to write about um, just to, to go in depth and to, to get really connected with that team and the way that Ohio state fans at the time did um, knowing that at the end I would have to talk about the Michigan game and, <laughs> you know, and then eventually the Tennessee game that at that point really didn't matter at all. Um, but it was, I think that it's a good exercise to, to go back and to look at uh, past Ohio State teams and kind of remember that, you know, like when seasons like 2015, which I mentioned in the, the intro, uh, when seasons like that happen, um, and we all freak out and we're like, this has never happened before. Uh, I think it's good to remember that it has happened before and it'll probably happen again because that's what Ohio State does. Um, and it's, you know, it's part of college football is, uh, teams not living up to expectations. And I think it was, I, I was hoping to try and establish the fact that in college football, unless you're Alabama, basically like right now is the, probably the most dominant dynasty we've ever seen since, uh, the ball started being passed forward consistently. It's really, really hard to be good in college football. And it's really hard to sustain that and to not lose at least once or twice, um, so I think that it kind of serves as a good reminder that, you know, Ohio State's probably going to be really good this year, and there's still only one team that could win the national championship, and it probably won't be them. Um, so that was the main thing that I kind of wanted to accomplish was, you know, the the fact that Ohio State can just be very, very good, and I think that that's okay, you know, and if Ohio State comes out and they lose a dumb game, like to say Purdue or Michigan or Michigan State or any number of the good teams that they play, it doesn't make them any less Ohio State. It makes them more Ohio State, if anything. And that even if Dwayne Haskins isn't like a Heisman winning, which he will be, obviously, we know that. This is the official Heisman podcast of Dwayne Haskins. Um, but, you know, if they come out and they're not the best football team of all time, that'll be okay, was was kind of the main point. And that, um, you know, this has all happened before. And uh, if Ohio State is really, really good this season and they do win a title, um, I think it should be, you know, cherished that that much more because it really doesn't happen very often, you know, and uh, that's true for pretty much every program in the country. And uh, I think seasons like 1995, and I was talking to somebody on Twitter about how 1996 was very similar. Um, they might have even been more talented in 1996. And it, it really, you can take, you can start to take for granted teams like that. And it was, it was mo mostly just to get across that, um, you know, no matter what happens, unless they go like six and six, uh, this Ohio state team should be enjoyed for what they are and what they could be. You know, imagine how whack you have to be in the spotlight to lose to college Peyton Manning in a big game. <laughs> <laughs> like, Let's just appreciate for the second shout, shout out to John Cooper. I love John Cooper. Those teams were, extremely fun and a lot of talent but like man the big games came around and everything went shut down it all went off yeah he he was a very good recruiter um i think that that's the nicest thing i can say about him because <laughs> boy these teams were they had some rough ones they had some very very rough ones <laughs> 
moving from an Ohio State coach in the 90s to Ohio State's interim head coach here. Ryan Day took the podium the other day for really the, the first time, and it was really the first time that anybody from Ohio State has been in front of the media, I guess, since since Big Ten media days and that whole fiasco. And first time for Ryan Day. And it was it was interesting. I thought it was pretty good. I don't know how much of it you watched, but like I read through everything and then I went and watched it. He seems like he definitely isn't like inundated with coach speak. Like you could tell it was his first time up there and not in a bad way. Like he didn't seem like on autopilot with the coach speak. Like there was the usual, um, you know, four to six, A to B, win the moment type of stuff that you always hear from Urban Meyer and coaches in general. But he looked really comfortable. He also looked like he had like eight pound bags under his eyes. <laughs> and he talked about, I think the quote was like, he felt like he was drinking from a fire hose when he first took over initially. But he seems pretty comfortable and kind of entrenched in this interim coach role. And it, it seems like it was something he wasn't totally expecting. But we'll have to see what, what happens on game day. But I was pretty impressed with what I saw from Ryan Day and just how he, he handled that whole thing because he was up there for like 30 minutes. Yeah, they had him up there for a really long time. I think um, – I can't remember what the exact number was. He might have been up there for like an hour, and they asked like 61 questions in an hour, uh, which is what happens when you don't let media see practices. Um, but regardless – he, uh, I, I mentioned it in the Land Grant Holy Land Slack room that his uh, his way of speaking and the things that he was saying reminded me a lot of Chris Holtman and the way that Chris Holtman started talking when he was hired at Ohio State. Um, I was impressed with with Coach Day. I, I think that he was um, he comes off as very earnest. Um, he he was very. You know, like you mentioned, he doesn't seem to really know how to do the coach speak, which is uh, good news for us uh, as people who have to cover him and the things that he says. But um, I, I think that he did a good job of, of talking about, you know, and, and thoroughly answering the questions he was asked and um, really being pretty truthful about, you know, how he was he didn't feel quite confident and you know in this position yet and he was talking about how he felt like his hair was on fire at the first scrimmage and how he's still learning and kind of trying to to pick things up from Greg Schiano and Kevin Wilson I think that that was something you don't really hear from coaches very often you know you don't you don't really hear coaches opening up about times that they're not super confident and they're not super sure of themselves so I think that that was um, that was interesting, and I think that that was good to hear because it's you know he is just a person, um, and this is completely new to him. And uh, I was impressed to see him kind of own up to that and accept that. And he seems to be, um, it seems like he's handling it better now than he he was earlier when he was first named the interim coach, at least from what he said. And um, I mean, I've I've said it before, but I think that Ryan Day is going to be a very good head coach at some point, whether that's at Ohio State next season or uh, at Ohio State in the future or at any school. I think he'll be a good coach. And I think that this kind of confirmed that to me that he does. Um, he has the demeanor to be a, a college football coach. And he seems to be, um, if not comfortable with it, at least pretty happy with his position and he, he seems to be capable of, of running a team. The Kevin Wilson, Greg Schiano aspect to this, I think is really underrated because no matter what you think about them as head coaches, and if you're Ryan day to be put in this situation at Ohio state, having 
two guys with head coach experience like that, I think is really going to help him. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I'm glad that either of them were named the interim coaches for uh, unrelated to football reasons. Although Kevin Wilson's is kind of related to football, I think, um, if I remember <laughs> correctly. Um, but I, I think that it's it's good that they are on staff and maybe not necessarily running the ship, but helping run the ship. Um because they do have experience coaching. It may not be the best experience, but they, they have done this before and they've been there. Um, and I think that it's good for Ryan Day to have those guys around to kind of show him the ropes and to help him run practices. And um, that he can really trust Greg Schiano to run the defense. He can really trust Kevin Wilson to keep the offensive line on track and um, help coordinate the plays and call the plays on game day. I think that's a big, a big boost for him, especially when you know, Oregon State comes to town or when they're playing Rutgers or uh, TCU obviously is the biggest one of the games that he has to coach for. Um, but I do think that that's a big boost regardless of um, personal feelings about Kevin Wilson or Greg Schiano. Yeah, Ryan Day said he still will be calling plays with help from Kevin Wilson, but he'll be the pl- primary play caller and one of the people he'll be calling plays for and, and got a ton of pub in this press conference was Tate Martell. And he said that Tate, quote, made a push at the starting job in, in the last two weeks. Dwayne Haskins is still the starter. I am still very much team. This coaching staff is choosing to push that as a company line to keep Dwayne Haskins motivated. I don't know. Is that like a hot take? Uh, I, that, I seems, still think, that seems right. <laughs> yeah, I still think no matter how much they want to push that Martell is pushing him. And he, and he might be. And he probably is. He's probably playing really yeah. well. I think from what we've seen from Dwayne Haskins. I think he's in that Cardale mode where he's very confident about his skills. I think he's even more confident than Cardale, just in a different way. And I I think that this is their way of keeping him motivated before he ever makes a start. Yeah. I I mean, that certainly wouldn't surprise me. And we saw Tate Martell in the spring game and he, I don't know if it's a hot take to say that he didn't look good in the spring game. He looked uh, definitively pretty bad in the spring game. And I'm, I'm sure that he has gotten better since then. Um, I still don't think I would be comfortable with him starting or taking over for Dwayne Haskins. If Dwayne Haskins was to get hurt, um, and it's certainly not great news that he seems to be the only other healthy scholarship quarterback at this point that isn't Dwayne Haskins. Um, Chugganov Hive, baby. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. As someone who watched the West Virginia games that he was playing in <laughs> last year, I don't know if I'd go that far. <laughs> but, um, I mean, I certainly think that Tate probably has improved. Uh, how much he's improved is probably being a little bit overstated. Um, but... You know, Ryan Day is a really, really good quarterbacks coach, and um, you know, I, I would like to, I would like to believe it. I'm not sure how much weight I'm going to be able to put in that until we actually see Tate playing, and hopefully, that's not in a starting position this season. Yeah, while we're on the subject of quarterbacks and Chris Chuganov, um, this may be a stupid question, but is anybody going to be off the roster since he took that scholarship? And Ryan Day was like, "Yeah, we're at 85," and then somebody asked, like, "Oh, that means." somebody's off the team and day was just like we're at 85 so like somebody has to be off the roster right or off scholarship yeah i was looking at the official roster this morning and i didn't see anything out of the ordinary i had a couple guys in mind who i thought might not be on the team anymore for various uh reasons and issues that they've had in the past but they were all there um so i'm really not sure what to think of that 
maybe one of the the guys who was a walk on that they put on scholarship was only for the summer. I know that they've done that before, and that would that would somewhat explain it. Um, but it, it does seem a little bit odd that they're bringing on a, a new quarterback in August, like a week before the season starts. <laughs> um, but I. I don't know. I guess we'll find out if there is a guy off the roster when he's not there on Saturday. That's been one of the low-key most interesting things about this media blackout to me because we haven't heard anything. So, you know, Day and the rest of the staff have said that there's only been minor injuries, but we could theoretically go into Saturday and they'd be like, oh, yeah, Nick Bosa tore his ACL. He's out for the season. It's like, ah, cool, great. (laughs) Some other news from the presser. Day said that Michael Jordan will be shifting to center and he will be starting at center. The offensive line group looks like Demetrius Knox at right guard, Jordan at center, Malcolm Pridgen at left guard, Isaiah Prince at right tackle, and then either Thayer Munford or Josh Alibi at left tackle. I'm going to play devil's advocate here. To me, this feels like the weakest they've looked on paper since Meyer's been at Ohio State. I don't know how comfortable I feel with this offensive line, at least right now. Yeah, I'm I'm concerned with the offensive line. I think that, you know, we know Isaiah Prince is going to be good. We know Michael Jordan is going to be good. Um, I think Demetrius Knox is good. I'm not <laughs> I'm not entirely sure on that. Um, Malcolm Prigion, I'm not at all sure if he's good. We really haven't seen him. Uh, much and then Thayer Munford was you know I, I think Thayer Munford is good it's but that's you know three out of the five guys who I'm not super confident in um, I'm surprised that Brandon Bowen is still not in the starting lineup or at least near it. it it seems like he's kind of fallen off and obviously he had the the bad injury which is understandable but I wouldn't be surprised if he worked his way back into the lineup I'm just not sure where it would happen um, and you know, with a, a team that I think is going to really rely on uh, giving Dwayne Haskins time to pass and opening up holes for the running attack, uh, it's not super reassuring that they their offensive line is, is kind of weak going into the season, at least on paper. And um, they're not going to have a quarterback that can run to bail them out anymore from that. And, you know, a guy who can extend plays when the, bro- when the blocking breaks down. And that's not to say that Dwayne can't. Um, move around in the pocket, but he's not JT Barrett or Braxton Miller, and those guys were able to make pretty bad offensive lines look at least decent with their running. Um, and I'm not sure if Dwayne can do that. So it, it's certainly concerning, especially when you see a team like TCU on the schedule that likes to bring a lot of blitzing, a lot of um, you know, a lot of really good guys in their front seven. So that's certainly something that I think, if there's a worry about this team, it's probably that. Well, and on the subject of Brandon Bowen, I think. Day reiterated that he's still coming back from that injury. Um, he's yeah, he's been dealing with the leg injury and recovery's been a little slower than he anticipated, but he's getting back. So hopefully we'll see Brandon Bowen sooner rather than later as he comes back from that injury. Brady Taylor also is going to get to play. So I think we'll see a couple different shifts of offensive line groups come in and and hopefully see them have some success and build towards, I think, the middle of the season, that TCU game and the Penn State game as we get deeper into the season, and they can build a little more consistency with each other. Um, Other personnel stuff, all the wide receivers are going to play, including Demario McCall, who's very near and dear to both hearts on this. Uh, It seems like he is strictly wide receiver at this point. I still think that's a little bit confusing, but we'll see what they do with him. I think he's clearly 
the biggest playmaker they have at that H-back spot. I would love to see him get the ball more, and especially in a game like this, like let, let's see what he can do. Yeah, I would really like to see Demario Freed. Um, he's just he's so fast, <laughs> and he's so exciting to watch. And um, I'm not really sure if he can catch the ball or run routes, but he. I just don't know how you can keep the ball out of his hands. And I know that that receiver room has a lot of talent. And, you know, you got guys like Paris Campbell and K.J. Hill at the H-back. But if there's a natural H-back on this team, it's Demario McCall. And, I, you know, we've been saying this for like three years now. It feels like going into a season. But I don't know how Demario McCall doesn't play this year, or at least doesn't see a good amount of time because he's just so talented. Defensively, too, there's a lot of personnel that are going to play at middle linebacker it seems like almost everybody if you're a linebacker you are playing in these first couple of games and the starter is going to be at middle linebacker baron browning uh also pete werner and malik harrison they're going to start at the three linebacker spots it also looks like justin hilliard's going to get a lot of time keandre jones is going to get a lot of time and uh they're going to go from there cornerbacks are going to be Damon Arnett, Kendall Sheffield, Jeff Okuda is those rotating three. And then Isaiah Pryors and Ja'Shawn Wint opposite of Jordan Fuller. So basically the, the usual suspects on defense. What do you think about Baron Browning starting at middle linebacker? I, I think this is going to be pretty good. Yeah, I have been this offseason. I have generally been in support of Browning being the starting middle linebacker. Um, I like Tough Borland a lot. I think Tough Borland was very good last season. But I can't get over Baron Browning, Browning's ceiling um, or the you know amount of athleticism that he has because he's just on a completely other level than than Borland or really any other linebacker on um, on the roster right now. He's um, just just a fantastic athlete. Really showed that last season as a true freshman, and I'm really interested to see what the defense will look like with him in the middle. Um, I think more so than I would be if Tough Borland was the guy who was playing there, because I think we've seen Tough Borland before at middle linebacker. You know, we've we've seen plenty of guys in that similar mold, um, and I'm I'm excited to see what kind of a more electric athlete can do in that spot and on the subject of tough Borland they referenced that he could play on Saturday which seems like the most absolutely unnecessary thing that could ever happen (laughs) (laughs) coming off an injury like that like I don't know why people are talking about that I don't know why the coaches are talking about that like there is absolutely no reason for him to play in this game and I I would kind of be like super disappointed if he played there's probably not even a reason for him to play in that Rutgers game like I understand needing to get reps you know getting back in football shape by playing the game but in a situation like this where it's a team that you're just so severely outclassing I I just think that there's no upside to tough Borland playing yeah I really I don't I don't know why he would see the field at all before like TCU because Rutgers and Oregon State are two of probably the three worst Power Five teams in the country. When you know, and Ohio State didn't get to schedule Kansas this year, but someday they should bring Kansas to town just to um, destroy the entire program. <laughs> but there's really not, there's not a reason to force him onto the field at this point, you know. And if he feels up to it, I still don't see a reason because he's a college football player, and that he's probably going to say that he feels up to it so he can get on the field. Um, and there's just no reason to risk further injury and possibly ruin his entire season or his entire career by playing him against a team that Ohio State's not going to lose to. Let's get into the game itself. Saturday, noon Eastern time on ABC, Ohio State takes on Oregon State. The spread is 39. How high would this spread have to be for you to think that Oregon State will cover? Oh, man. 
probably somewhere in the 40s, probably mid 40s, I, I think. Um, I'm looking at uh, the the Bill Connolly preview of Oregon State, and he's got the projected margin for that game at uh, Ohio State winning by a little more than 39. But just looking at Oregon State's roster, you know, they returned 15 guys, which isn't terrible, but those 15 guys were not good last season, and they probably won't be good this season. <laughs> so I'm really... I, I don't think that they're going to be able to pass or run or play defense, which is like the three things that you have to do in football. <laughs> um, so I, I think that Ohio State, I mean, I would be surprised if Ohio State didn't win the game by more than 40 points, um, you know, and even like a 45-point win. If Ohio State goes out and wins 45-0, to zero, I think I'd be a bit underwhelmed by the offense. <laughs> It's like Hawaii 2015 part two. Yeah, I was at that game and people were miserable. Ohio yes. <laughs> State won by 38 points and everybody was like, what the hell? <laughs> Little did they know they were about to watch an even worse game versus Northern Illinois, oh, I think, the next God. week. <laughs> Ugly. So what what are some of the big things that you're looking for in this game? Um, how many yards is Tate Martell going to run for in the second half? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, like we joke, but that's probably what it's going to be because I don't, I mean, I think this one will be out of reach by halftime, if not the end of the first quarter. Oregon State stinks. It's, you know, I, there's really no other way to put it. They stink. They're not a good football team. They have a brand new head coach who's never been a head coach before. I like Jonathan Smith a lot. I don't think that he's uh, going to turn them around in one season. Especially after they went one and eleven last year, I think it could be a very similar look for them this season. I, I see that they have one FCS team on schedule, Southern Utah, so that might be a win. But I don't think that this is a team that's really ready to compete with FBS opponents. And Ohio State is one of the best FBS opponents you can possibly play, and they're doing it on the road um, in one of the toughest stadiums to play in sometimes um, against a team that has a lot to prove. I, I think, I think that's fair to say about Ohio state that they're really trying to, they might try to show off a little bit and, and prove that they can win without urban Meyer coaching them. Um, so really the thing that I'm looking for is just, uh, what would the, you know, what will the young guys look like when they're playing in the second half? Because freshmen are allowed to play in four games now before they, you know, lose a redshirt eligibility. So I think we could see some really young guys getting in there and playing and that's, um, probably the most interesting part of this game is that we could see, you know, five-star freshmen like Teron Vincent, um, you know, guys like that getting on the field um, pretty early in this game. Galaxy Brain Ohio State actually scheduled this game so they can finally beat a Power 5 team at home. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's probably it. <laughs> so over over under 80 rushing yards for Tate Martell. Over. I, I think over easily. <laughs> I think that I would take over 150. I, I think he's going to go for maybe 175 on the day. <laughs> I'm going to write that down. We we got to we got to look back at this. So, yeah, I'd go over 2 on the 80 and I think 100 will be will definitely be in reach. He's definitely going to make at least one like right off the bat, one extremely stupid play where like he throws straight into coverage yeah. and the ball gets tipped up and somebody catches it and races for a touchdown and everybody's just like, "That's Tate Martell. That's just the magic of Tate, baby." <laughs> so I'm I'm definitely excited to uh to see him and how some of the freshmen play. Um he could get a whole half, but something interesting that I think is like unique to this quarterback situation would be like ideally you would want a guy like Tate Martell to get as much playing time as possible 
but I think everybody collectively is forgetting that Dwayne Haskins still hasn't made a start. Yeah. So like as bad as Oregon State is, I also want to see Dwayne Haskins play more than a half of football because he really hasn't done that at all. So I think this is beneficial for Haskins too, even as a starter and even if he does play high level to, to really see what he can do with the first team offense right from the get go. I want to see some of the passing concepts that they work with him, how the deep ball looks and something that has been really lacking from Ohio state's game is the intermediate passing game. We know what they can do with the bubble. We know that Paris Campbell and KJ Hill can get the ball in their hands behind the line of scrimmage or or three yards above it and, and make plays and make guys miss. But what can they do 12 yards down the field? What can they do 15 yards down the field? That's been an area that I think has been not only underutilized, but kind of just missing from Ohio State's offense in recent years. And that would be where Haskins, with that arm, can really excel. So I want to see what they can do with some of those offensive concepts and how different the passing game looks than what we've seen the past couple of years. Yeah, I'm interested to see what a you know a game called by Ryan Day and Kevin Wilson will look like because you know we know that in you know like last season Urban Meyer was getting the final call on those plays and a lot of times they were quarterback runs because that's kind of his go-to thing. And I'm interested to see if they have more of a a traditional quarterbacks pass the ball, running backs run the ball offense this season and specifically in this first game. Um, I think that that could be a really interesting, you know, that could be a really interesting first, not really test for them, kind of a preseason game (laughs) of sorts. Um, But I'm excited to see what the offense looks like against a power five team, albeit um, Oregon State. You mentioned guys like Teron Vincent, some of the other freshmen. What what other guys are you excited for? Because I know I'm really pumped to see Jeremy Ruckert sticking on the offensive side of the ball. We may see guys like Brian Sneed and Master Teague late and getting back to the offensive line, Nicholas Petit-Friere. Maybe he's a guy under this new redshirt rule that you know these guys play right away. There's really no reason for a lot of the starters to play more than like a quarter and a half or just a half total. So I, I think we're going to see a lot of these really young guys, young freshmen, and guys that weren't even early enrollees like Ruckert play a lot. And I'm – very keen to see what their strategy is for this new redshirt rule. Yeah, I, I mean, the guys that you named are certainly good options. Um, I'm excited to see Tyreek Johnson, see if he plays some corner in this game. Um, Jalen Gill's very exciting. He's uh, extremely fast and really fun to watch. Um, you know, even a guy who, you know, has been on the roster for a couple of years but isn't one of the main starters, Jalen Harris. I'm excited to see what he can do at receiver because I'm imagining he'll probably see a lot of time in this game, um, especially if it's a blowout like we think it'll be. Um, and then, you know, a guy like Antoine Jackson, the uh, JUCO transfer who is at Auburn, um, he's going to be, I think, a, a serious part of the defensive tackle rotation this season. And I think he could see a lot of time in this game. We could really get a, a, a good idea for what exactly he is and what he brings to the team. Um, but there's certainly a lot of, you know, there's a lot of incoming talent. There's a lot of guys who I'm really excited to see. And um, I would imagine Ohio State's going to use them pretty pretty often in this game and especially in these early games against some pretty bad teams and then a guy who is not a freshman but I haven't shut up about this whole offseason on this podcast or online I have his name written down 
in different colors sharpie every single letter and then underline three times sean wade baby yeah. sean wade hive has logged on they didn't reference him as one of the top three corners rotating in but i will not give this up sean wade is going to be the best player in the secondary by the end of the season that is my hot take before we start game one yeah if um if anybody listening to this is a big fan of like the uh you know like the really lanky uh corners who are just cocky and dominant uh sean wade is your guy because he is um like you look at guys like jalen ramsey in the nfl sean wade looks a lot like him in the way that he plays he's very physical very long arms really likes to you know not just play kind of off coverage and then jump throws he he really likes to get up in a receiver's face and um he's he's really fun to watch and i'm i'm hoping that we do get to see him a lot this season something offensively too that kind of stands out to me and maybe this isn't the best game for it but it's whether the wide receivers can make contested plays because this is a group that we're going to see them out there in week one on Saturday and be like, oh my God, how are all these guys still here? Because basically all these dudes are seniors and even guys like Benjamin Victor, Austin Mack, they've been in the program now for two, almost three years. And it's really put up or shut up time for a lot of these. It's past put up or shut up time for a lot of them. And I want to see whether these guys can make contested plays. And we know that they can do the crossing routes. They, they get the ball wide open. They can make plays. They're, they're super fast. We know that. But whether they can make contested plays or not for Dwayne Haskins and with what his skill set is, is I think really going to somewhat define this passing game this year. And like I said, it's, it's put up or shut up time for these guys. And I think a lot of their success offensively is going to hinge on whether they can step up and make plays for the quarterback. Yeah, I think that that definitely applies at receiver. And um, I, I think that you could say the same thing about some linebackers on this team, you know, guys like Justin Hilliard, uh, Dante Booker have been in the program for years now. And neither one of them has really made a huge impact at this point. And I'm interested to see what those guys could do. You know, up front, you got a guy like Jayshon Cornell, who's been here for the same amount of time as Justin Hilliard has. And um, some some guys who have really never started or seen significant playing time. I know Booker did, but then he kind of fell off as he got into some some trouble with the coaching staff. Um, but I'm interested to see what those guys can do, interested to see what the the veteran receivers can do. And you know, I think that that's one of the more interesting storylines on this team is the the former four and five star veterans who've really never stepped up on this team and have been kind of jumped over by younger guys and to, to see if they can contribute, if not break into the starting lineup. What about defensive line? We haven't talked a lot about the defense and really that front. That's probably Ohio State's biggest strength. I don't know how much of a takeaway we can have from Nick Bosa and Draymond Jones just demolishing Oregon State's front. But it'll be fun to see this new group together. I'm definitely in the camp where I secretly think that this group by the end of the season is going to be even better than last year's group was. I think that they're better pass rushers, and there are a lot of guys that deserve time that just couldn't get it last season. But I think overall, this group is so... They're beyond solid. They're, I think that they're great. And to see some of these young guys play and you add in, like you said, Jackson and Teron Vincent, I, I think that it gives a different element to the defense. And a lot of it was focused on the DNs last year, and I think they'll still be very good with Bosa, Chase Young, Jonathan Cooper, who I think is in line for a really big season. But I think that depth-wise inside now, they're even better and just top to bottom that they're going to be a problem for every single offensive line they play. 
Yeah, am I crazy for thinking that the interior defensive line is better than the exterior defensive line in terms of not maybe top-end talent because I think Chase Young and Nick Bosa are the best two players on the line, but with depth, I mean, you've got, you know, you got Draymond Jones, you got Robert Landers, you've got, you know, obviously behind them, you've got a bunch of former four- and five-star freshmen, you've got Devon Hamilton. There's, uh, there's just so much talent there, and I... I think that it's the most talented interior defensive line Ohio State has had, and I think I'm more confident in the depth and the talent overall inside than I am outside, and that's not to say that I'm not confident with the outside talent, but I'm I'm so excited to see the what the you know the big guys in the middle can do. Yeah, I don't think that that's crazy, especially when you just look at the, the overall picture because the thing that stands out to me about those inside guys is there's – there's some big dudes, yeah. Like, I, but I don't, I don't think that there's one like guy who's just totally a space eater. We've seen that Draymond Jones can plug holes, but if he needs to go make a play in the backfield, he can. You know, Robert Landers has really flashed at times, making tackle for losses. I think that Teron Vincent is definitely a guy who's not just going to be in the middle of the defense eating up blockers. He can do it, but I, I think he can also get to the quarterback and get in the backfield. Same with Antoine Jackson and, and some of these other guys they have along the line. So I think from just a playmaking standpoint, it's the deepest they've been at defensive line ever, which is super scary to think about. And now all these guys, not, not to say that it was bad that Sam Hubbard and Taekwon Lewis were, were getting so much time, but I think that those dudes were entrenched because not only were they very good players, but they were seniors as well. I think from an athletic standpoint and just explosiveness that this group as a whole is much more explosive than they were last year, which is really scary to think about. Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. I'm, I'm excited to see what they can do. Um, even if it in week one is against an offensive line that is not very good. Um, I think that's about, I think that's about all the previewing we can do for this game. Do you have a score prediction for this? Um, I, in my head, I want to say like 80 to seven because, <laughs> because I, I think if they really wanted to, they could. And something that's very underrated about this, and maybe we, we touched on last episode at the end when we were just talking about the football aspect of the suspensions, Ryan Day was pretty even-keeled about everything, but I, I would assume that these guys are all pretty fired up to get out there. And I think that, you know, for better or worse – that they're probably pretty angry about what happened. That's just, I think, human nature when you're all kind of in that situation together. And I think if they want to run it up, they can. I don't think they will, but I think like 56 to 10 sounds about right. I don't know if Oregon State is going to score those points <laughs> early, but I think 56 to 10 is what I'm going to go with. I was going to go with 59 to 7 and the 7 coming off of like a Tate Martell pick 6 or something. So uh, pretty close there. <laughs> let's let's just imagine for a second. The score is 62 to 10 or 6. No, hold on. 62 to nothing. There's three minutes left in the fourth quarter. Tate Martell has the ball. 69-yard scramble. Ohio State wins 69 to nothing. Tate Martell finishes with 169 yards rushing. Tate Martell would retire from football. <laughs> be, I'm declaring for the yeah. NFL draft. Yeah. The, the, the perfect game for Tate Martell. I love it. Um, also, real quick, excited to see J.K. Dobbins yeah. again. This, is, this, this seems like a... Six carry, 120 yard day for J.K. Did a very NCAA 07 type day for J.K. Dobbins playing in FCS school. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Tate, your J.K. Dobbins and 
Mike Weber are going to combine for 10 carries and 300 yards. <laughs> well, I'm definitely excited that the season is starting back up. It'll be a lot of fun to get past all of the bullshit that we've seen this offseason and just watch these kids play. It's the best time of year, and you can count us to be here at least two times a week, plus the Why Is This News edition of the Hangout in the Holy Land each week. So we'll have three podcasts all season coming to your ears. So make sure to keep it locked on soundcloud.com slash land grant holy land to find the episodes there online on the SoundCloud app as well. And on Apple Podcasts by subscribing search Hangout in the Holy Land. Find this and the Why Is This News podcast there. And be sure to follow us on Twitter at Holy Land Pod. We'll be more active as the season rolls along there on Holy Land Pod on Twitter. You can also follow me on Twitter at Dubsco, and you can follow Patrick on Twitter at Patrick underscore Mayhorn. Patrick, you got anything else, man? What what games are you most excited for this this week? Oh man, I'm most excited probably for LSU Miami. I think that game's gonna be awesome. Um, Notre Dame Michigan should be fun just because that's like a really classic, uh, you know, matchup. I think the you know, uniforms and the helmets in a night game with Notre Dame, Michigan will look awesome. And I, I always like to see that. Um, I think FAU is going to beat Oklahoma, so that should be nice. Um, <laughs> but it's, you know, it, it's it's a bit more of a, a subdued weekend than usual. Um, you know, Auburn, Washington should be awesome, too. Uh, but I'm, I'm excited for it. I think that there's a lot of depth in this weekend. There's a lot of really solid games. Um, and I'm ready to ready to get back into some football here and to um to watch like uh lsu lose by 40 points or something or win by 40 points because those are the two options there can't be a close game there it has to be a 40 point loss for either team (laughs) i've said it ad nauseum on twitter but that lsu miami game and michigan notre dame game there are two fan bases that are going to be super unhappy to start the year like (laughs) the loser of that michigan Notre Dame game because just looking back at the history of that and looking at Jim Harbaugh's history at Michigan in these types of games, whoever loses, it's going to be on something extremely stupid. And I hope that it's on a referee's decision that's like totally controversial. (laughs) That is what that game deserves. Yeah, yeah, for sure. The kicker is ejected for targeting before he can kick the (laughs) the game winner. (laughs) We'll see Joe Burrow play against Miami as well, against that defense, which should be a lot of fun. The loser of that game going to be very unhappy um you know Miami had the had the really good season last year but I think you know if Mark Rick if they like lose and get embarrassed you'll see Miami fans start to kind of pull like the Georgia fan they're like uh like we're gonna win 10 games but Mark Rick you always Mark Rick us <laughs> at the very most Mark Rick time <laughs> he's elite Kirk Ferentz <laughs> Whoa! This is speaking of, of talking of galaxy brain here. Even like the undercard is super fun this week because uh, San Diego State and Stanford play on Friday on Fox Sports One. Uh, a very, a, a very Thursday game, conference game, Northwestern at Purdue. Man, that game's gonna be awesome to kick That's off fantastic. the season. I'm I'm excited for that. Uh, Ole Miss Texas Tech for just like sheer shootout fun troy boise state is this week too isn't it yeah yeah two two of the best g5 teams that that may like if troy ends up pulling that off troy could be like the story of of g5 this year that's like a name to look at everybody's talking about boise state and san diego state those are like the two main culprits always let's not snub lane kiffin here (laughs) yeah yeah him as well and he could that that honestly could be like a low-key storyline 
for this week one is if San Diego State wins. And, like, I know some of the listeners will think that we're crazy. Florida Atlantic's really good. Yeah, they and are good. OU has a lot of new dudes and coming off a, a really good season, and they're, they're losing all that production with Baker Mayfield. So it wouldn't be the craziest thing in the world. Um, if Bob Stoops were still at Oklahoma, I'd for sure, like, be 100% in on Florida Atlantic winning that game but I don't think it's it's crazy or out of the realm of possibility and then you even have games like Auburn Washington which should be a lot of fun the takes if Auburn loses that game will be delicious and even if Washington loses will be pretty good too and then Tennessee West Virginia that'll be the loser of that game is going to literally literal couch burning in that game as well yeah for sure I yeah it should be a great weekend I'm, I'm really excited for there to be football back and for for us to be able to talk about things that aren't um, very gross and depressing, which is what we've had to be doing for the last month or so. <laughs> what happens when Alabama only beats Louisville 17-3 to because Nick Saban decided to switch his quarterbacks every other possession and go full 2015 Ohio State? Uh, Bobby Petrino becomes the new head coach at Alabama. <laughs> I'm surprised Bobby Petrino has, was never an offensive coordinator under Nick Saban. I mean, he probably has been. He just hasn't told us. <laughs> He's keeping it secret. That is an excellent point. <laughs> yeah, Bobby Petrino, Ohio State head coach. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> Ooh. That may be the worst one we've ever done. It's up there. <laughs> I think that, um, you know, Ohio State fans who love, um, like, the program being classy, they would love that. They would really go for Bobby Petrino. <laughs> Ohio Stadium at QA and non field. Ohio State <laughs> Stadium. Ohio Stadium sponsored by Papa John's. Infowars Stadium <laughs> at Ohio. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, and on that note, we will wrap this thing up. At Holy Land Pod is where you can find us on Twitter. Hang out in the Holy Land on Apple Podcasts. We will be back on Sunday with a recap episode. Sunday or Saturday night with a recap episode of the Oregon State game. Hope everybody enjoys the start to the season. If you're going to the game, kudos to you and hope you have a great time at Ohio Stadium. Stay safe and happy college football, everybody. And we will talk to you next time right here on the Hangout in the Holy Land.